0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gurra. Daily, we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg.
1: Henry Kaufman with us now in our Bloomberg 1130 studios, formerly with Salomon Brothers. He's the author of the book, Tectonic Shifts in Financial Markets, People, Policies, and Institutions. He's the president of Henry Kaufman and Company. Great to see you once again. Thank you. The, uh, the waiting continues here. We, we, we await a decision from the president on who will be the next uh, Fed chair. Perhaps it will be Fed chair Janet Yellen renewed for a second term. Perhaps it will be uh, someone else. What should a president, what should a treasury secretary, what should a chief of staff be considering uh, at this point uh, as they make this decision, as they pick the next Fed chair? What, What should they be considering, broadly speaking?
2: Well, they ought to, first of all, have an awareness of the candidate's experience. Financial experience is very helpful. Having an academic background in banking, finance, and economic theory is also extremely helpful being able to manage others around the chair, meaning the other members of the Board of Governors or the FOMC, who are usually PhDs. Those people have to be led, they have to be managed, they have to be influenced. And someone coming from the outside with limited experience will have some problems in doing that.
1: Is, is that the hardest thing to assess uh, in advance? We talk about John Taylor, a professor at Stanford with a lot of government experience, Kevin Warsh, it, it, it's hard to estimate how somebody will be able to interact with others on the board or bring them on board or, or work with them. How do you just begin to, to figure out how somebody might do with that?
2: Well, some of these people, uh, uh, John Taylor, of course, was undersecretary of the Treasury, mm-hmm. so he has had considerable government experience. Yeah. When you go back through the history of the Federal Reserve chairs, uh, Uh, Bill Martin, who was the first prominent one in the post-war period, began in 1951 and served for the longest until 1968. He had been at the Treasury. He had been chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. He had also been the head of the Export-Import Bank. He had considerable background and knowledge and took a lot of courses. Uh, On the other hand, um, thereafter... Uh, you had Arthur Burns, who was secretary, who was the chairman of the uh, the Economic Advisors uh, at one time, was an expert on business cycles, uh, and so on. And uh, But nevertheless, I can recite all of these for you with their background and experience. A good many of them had a checkered experience as chair. With all that experience, with all that knowledge in managing... They didn't perform as well as they should
0: have. I want to talk one more question to the Fed, then we've got to get to extremely important headlines for Global Wall Street. And we're honored to have you here, Uh, uh, Dr. Kaufman. Let me redux the question from television earlier. Can John Taylor be a dove or is he so rules bound Uh that we're going to be hawk, hawk, hawk? Uh, uh,
2: The little I know about John Taylor, he can only be a dove if it fits within his formula. Yeah. Within his formula. Uh, and you don't think
0: there's enough fungibility in the formula or within his Boston speech recently to calm those that worry about a restrictive John Taylor?
2: There, There is a certain amount that can give within his formula. Yeah. And as I said to you before, here we are in 2017. The unemployment rate is four and a half, below four and a half percent. And labor compensation hasn't gone yeah. up. Isn't that an extraordinary event uh, over the last eight, nine years?
0: One of our themes to talk about. Here are the headlines in all of Global Wall Street. We say good morning to you in London on Radio London, of course, in Awakening, East Coast, and uh, New York, but truly to all of our uh, listeners worldwide. David, why don't you run through these important headlines from the Securities and Exchange Commission? Yeah, we
1: were speaking with Ben Bain uh, last week about what the SEC was considering with regard to these MIFID rules, and we're getting some more clarity on that this morning. The SEC is saying it's going to ask for public comments on the market impact of these new MIFID rules. Uh, The SEC is going to Mm -hmm. give a 30-month reprieve to U.S. firms on EU research rules uh, and uh, here, the announcement yeah. addressing Mifid conflict with EU on, on payments issues uh, in particular. So those are the main headlines here that we're getting from the Securities Exchange Commission in Washington.
0: Of course, Henry Kaufman, with his legendary work and modern work, I should say, at Salomon Brothers some years ago, is a perfect person to speak about. The FT had the article yesterday, Robin Wigglesworth, uh, the, the idea of Bank of America becoming an investment advisor to accept hard dollars, to accept cash, because they've got to worry Bank of America, New York. San Francisco, uh, the Carolinas, has to worry about their London clients. This
2: is a real international issue, isn't it? It is uh, an, an, an important issue, but the issue is how do you maintain the independence of research? How do you hold research accountable to be always objective, can you have two regimes, a New York regime of compensation to the cell side, et etc.,
0: and a separate regime in Europe and particularly in the city? I think that's
2: exceedingly difficult.
0: I agree. Just, as, you know, as I rarely as editorialize, David, but we're going there right now. As,
2: as, as I told you, uh, the only way research can be objective in a cell research environment is when the head of research sits in the senior management with all the other leaders on that executive committee. I'm going to hope that James Diamond is listening to this
0: conversation this morning. What is your advice to Mr. Diamond? He's got 422 reports, and he's got to figure out what to do with the dynamic between London and
2: New York. What is your advice to Jamie Diamond? My advice is bring the head of research into the senior management so that he oversees the extent to which Objectivity is maintained in analysis because if you sit on top with the other four or five if and that well, issue comes up, it's to be defended. But come on. Off of Volcker rule and Dodd-Frank, the Europeans want
0: to police Global Wall Street's right. intellectual output. That's irrefutable. That's yeah, what they right, want right. to uh, do. And we see that through MIFID, uh, too. This is absolutely critical. Do you agree with the Europeans that we should police research, or should the SEC stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this longer than the 30-month headline this morning?
2: Well, I— I would say research should be policed for its objectivity. Otherwise, it doesn't serve well the client, and it doesn't serve well the institution ultimately. And it will always be then looked at as being sell-side research. And the definition of sell-side research is to push the product, to push the item, to push the underwriting, to push the the sale or the purchase of stock. and uh, the uh, the the investor ultimately becomes aware of this.
1: Very quickly, we'll come back uh, with you in just a moment. But uh, how seismic a change do you think this is going to be? There's so much concern about what it's going to mean for for jobs and for this part of the the economy as well. How worried are you about the implementation of these rules?
2: Well, I I, I really think uh, the number of people in research <laughs> is going to diminish. Yeah, it's going to diminish, not only because of what you're talking about, but we're, we're creating more exchange-traded funds. We are, at the same time, uh, doing much more we got much more money going into Vanguard and all of these the passive
0: things. investment. Passive well, let's do this. Investment. Let's come back and talk about this. We are honored to have Henry Kaufman with us with these important headlines uh, from uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission. They will ask for public comments on MIFID. Uh, they don't put it down. They don't punt the ball down the, uh, uh, the street. They go 30 month, 3-0, 30 month reprieve to U.S. firms. On European research rules. I think that's a critical uh, headline. And they make clear uh, Wall Street firms can accept research payments from EU clients. Mm-hmm. Much more on this important issue with Dr. Kaufman. I think the Dow was like 12 points when Henry Kaufman started his career. Where was the Dow <laughs> when you walked in the Wall Street door?
2: Oh, my goodness. I walked in the Wall Street door in January of 1962. I walked into Solomon. Mm-hmm. It must have been in the hundreds.
0: The hundreds, yeah, I would say... Uh, the middle hundreds is my guess. We'll look that up. David Wilson has that statistic available. He has it actually memorized. Um, I'm sure everybody wants to know that you just celebrated your 90th birthday. What is the key to Kaufman uh, longevity? As people know, as we go through this, I don't do this Dr. Doom uh, baloney. You've always been an upbeat guy, forgetting about the cliches of another time and space. What is the Kaufman longevity formula? Gura and I are taking yes, notes. Yes,
2: <laughs> well, I, I I suspect it's have good genes, uh, and it's not like a glass. Come on, help me here. Is it and, like a and, glass of tomato juice every
3: morning?
0: And and stay active. Stay active. Stay active. Don't retire. Yeah, would be one of them. Stay active, David. Why don't you jump in here with Henry Kaufman after these uh, SEC headlines? Too many other
1: topics. Yeah, so. uh, we're looking ahead to the CCB meeting today, but listening to yes. what. Fed policymakers have been saying, and I noticed that more and more of them are talking about the role that technology uh, is playing when it comes to productivity nice. and wage growth and, and all of that. Uh, as you see, what's, what's the role that technology is playing in the economy uh, at we this are, point when you uh, look at the data?
2: That is a very key issue which hasn't been appreciated. There is a tectonic shift occurring, actually, which I didn't bring out uh, in the book. Uh, and, that's the, and And that's the following. We have seen very little increase in wages in the last eight, nine years, but we've seen an extraordinary increase in corporate profits. Mm -hmm. I I believe what is occurring is a great obsolescence in labor, in the value of labor as a result of automation, robots, uh, factories that can be built all over the world rather than in one place. And the technological increase that has occurred with such rapidity that it is marginalizing labor. Much in the old days, in the 1950s, in the 19 uh, early 60s, there were unions. Unions that, of course, uh, got higher wages uh, for their members, and they constrained corporate profit somewhat. That has gone uh, here. And it's a really long-term social problem as this widening gap occurs. Ask yourself the simple question, as labor compensation remains modest, what kind of corporate pensions are going to be there years from now to help in retirements.
0: Well, we're there right now. I mean, Alicia Manell up at Boston yeah. College has yeah. 81% of people not actuarially justified in their retirement. Within these broader issues yes. is our quest for hard data. Yeah. You were one of the leaders in looking at hard data. Do you observe in service and goods inflation the hard data that can let a set of good central bankers raise rates?
2: No, I, I, I think... As you know, Ms. Yellen raises the question, and she hasn't got an answer, why isn't the inflation rate higher? So here's a policymaker at the highest level is highly uncertain for this relatively modest growth in labor compensation. And I, it, it comes from really the fact that labor is becoming more obsolescent. Robots are replacing labor. Uh, I saw recently a garbage truck. <laughs> in my days, the garbage truck used to be manned by a driver and two men. Now I saw a garbage truck with a driver moving along. There weren't the two men. And what happened? There was a crane that picked up the garbage pail, dumped it, and put it down. Uh, as, uh, now in about 20 years, there won't even be a driver on that, uh, on that car and if you you don't have to stretch your imagination far in 25 years a lot of taxis will be driven without a driver and uh, this goes on and on a friend of mine who was just in japan told me of a robot walking into a patient's room gives the patient a pill if the patient doesn't take the pill an mm-hmm. attendant comes along and then the robot picks up the patient and puts him in a wheelchair Now, this is really a tremendous replacement that's going
0: on. We've got to circle back. Here's the point. You're 90 years old. You're not in a wheelchair. We want to know why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's leave it there. Henry Kaufman with us, and we'll have him in again uh, soon. It is a wonderful book. I can't say enough about tectonic shifts in financial markets, people, policies, and institutions. And I would really emphasize the people part of it. It's a beautiful book. You just want to buy the book because it feels so uh, good from Paul Grave Macmillan uh, as well. But the real issue here for particularly those of you of a younger vintage, it is a beautiful way to get um, a sense a history of where we were and how we got to 2007 and beyond. It's even got a lot on Walter Riston, which is a very uh, good thing uh, as well. Henry Kaufman, of course, uh, for years with Salomon Brothers and uh, with an association with Lehman Brothers, which we didn't have time to talk about, but we'll do that another time. We do uh, economics, finance, investment, international relations. We do politics and we do our military. And I think, David, we get more misinformation And we struggle more to get informed guests on the military than any other thing we deal with. And that's why we were honored to have Admiral James Stravitas with us at Tufts. And uh, General Kimmett comes on, who's a really interesting guy, a general with a CFA, an important financial degree. And it's also why we have George Friedman on, because he read Jane's as a kid. (laughs) He knows every boat, every ship. Even worse, he knows where every boat is. And literally, David, it could be a three-hour conversation.
1: Absolutely. George Friedman here with us in our Bloomberg 1130 studios in New York, the founder and chairman of Geopolitical uh, Futures. Let's get to that in just a minute. First, let me ask you about the news of the day. We've been following what's been going on in northern Spain, uh, waiting to hear from the president of the region a little bit uh, later about the path forward. There could be a call for, for new elections there. What do you make of, of what's playing out there? Where do you think this is leading to, not just in Spain, uh, in this region and in Spain, but in Europe generally? What is it, what is it, what's the message about the, the integrity or the health of the, the European experiment?
3: Well, where this comes from is 2008. This is the really important part of 2008. I hate to say this to the people in the market, but that was a preface. What has happened is that it has created massive inequalities in Europe, failed economies, uh, a lot of pretense by the elite. And now you're seeing a fragmentation. Scotland almost seceded from the UK. Uh, Now Catalonia. These are two 300-year arrangements that are coming apart. The Italians, uh, there'll be others coming. So what we're seeing here is what economics is all about. It becomes politics, and it becomes politics where the whole, you know, you're talking about tectonic shifts. Uh-huh. with uh, yes. uh, Mr. Kaufman, this is a tectonic shift. We think 2008 is over because interest rates are stabilizing. Oh, no. Catalonia is 2008 writ large. Are politics playing a greater role
1: uh, in, in the economy, uh, in policy than they have uh, in, in the past, I, I think, of just what happened with Brexit, what happened with the U.S. election, um, the rise of populism that we saw. When, when you look at the economy, how big a role is politics playing at this point?
3: Well, the economy is politics. Uh, the tax code, the uh, regulations, uh, the political pressures all affect it. Uh, when things are relatively stable, there's this feeling that the markets operate on their own. But historically, I mean, what made the great expansion possible was World War II. And that was pretty political. And that set the stage for a generation of growth. Vietnam, in turn. I I think we should rip up the script here. Dr. Kissinger, among
0: others, has talked about the refugee migrant moment in Europe is to be almost trans-century, to go across centuries of historical experiment, And we've seen recently the politics of Austria, the politics of the Czech Republic. How does George Friedman filter not so much the fact of migrants and refugees in Europe, but the scale of it, the amplitude of the last 12 months?
3: And the breathtaking indifference by the elite to the entire process. Because from a European point of view, the Germans and the German elite were very generous, but they weren't going to live in the same neighborhoods with them. The people who wanted – thought the migrants should come in were very kind, but they weren't going to be the ones paying the price of social dislocation and everything else. Like when I moved to the Bronx from Hungary, uh, everybody was very kind to me, but they weren't living there, and it was a tough neighborhood. So the issue here is – 1956? 49. Forty-nine. Forty-nine. I came here 52. I was uh, – we came to the United States. Did they States.
0: think you were a communist? I mean, was it then of a shift that you were the little kid that was a commie? No. Because that's how we felt with the kids in 56 and the debris after that.
3: No. We, we were afraid of the Puerto Ricans, and we were afraid of the Italians, and we were afraid of the yeah. Irish, and they were afraid of us. So when you have immigration, you have social instability. And so the people who didn't want it were regarded as Immoral. you You know, dark people who don't understand that they're evil. This ripped Europe apart. It wasn't the migration, but the manner in which the same people that voted for Trump were presented. So we have a massive split between the elite, who sees themselves as moral judges, and the working class, the poorer, who see themselves as bearing the burden of the generosity of the elite. Let me ask you about
1: um, the negotiations over NAFTA, and we're talking about politics being the economy and and perhaps vice versa there. What do you make of the the signaling that we've seen here? Uh, You have negotiation teams from these three uh, countries working on rehashing that deal, all the while you have uh, one of the three nations head of states raising the specter of terminating the deal. Uh, There's some political signaling, uh, if if, if any. How optimistic are you that this process is going to play out, and how uh, destabilizing would it be to have no trade deal for any period of time between these three countries Uh, i'll give
3: one fact the largest export partner of california is mexico the largest export partner of texas is mexico you've got the largest republican the largest democratic uh representatives in washington and the last thing they want is anything that screws up nafta so it really doesn't matter what the negotiators do and it doesn't much matter what the president wants this is going to be decided ultimately in congress can you say this about
0: tax reform can you say the same thing about tax reform it
3: doesn't have that kind of coalition it doesn't have that it mm. doesn't have the california yeah. and texas yeah. the first and the second largest delegations yeah. pulling in others saying yeah. basically we we don't okay. want a basic change
0: okay texas guy Other than Austin, good morning, Austin, Texas. Good morning, Mr. Dell. Other than Austin, Texas, how many Democrats are left in Texas? Would LBJ know the state?
3: Uh, He would know the state because all the Democrats became Republicans. This was always a conservative state. It was a conservative Democratic state. And now it's what has really changed it somewhat is the tension between Senator Cruz and Senator Cornyn. But the Trump movement itself hasn't changed the state that much.
0: You don't see a shift in the Trump. I mean, I just saw an MSNBC banner talking about the overnight polling and the president's mm-hmm. at new low and in all of that. Do you see in your neck of the woods uh, people walking away from the president or does he still have that core base?
3: They don't know what to walk to. So the problem mm-hmm. that we really have is, okay, uh, my neighbors yeah. in, in Hayes County I have problems with Trump. The problem is the system hasn't presented an alternative. Right. The alternative is going back to Obama. They really didn't like Obama. So in Texas, you've got them locked in, and the party is locked uh, in.
0: Very quickly here, uh, one more question. Do the Democrats have anybody that understands the five-sided walls of the Pentagon? Are there any William Cohen or uh, John Kerry's out there that actually understand you got to budget this stuff?
3: Well, I think the basic problem is the think tanks in Washington. The really smart people all work for think tanks. The think tanks are funded by various corporate interests there. They're going to put that out. The days when you had independent defense analysts in both parties were limited. The best people there you have are the former generals. They're not working for the think tanks. They do know the budget. And that's, I think, one of the most smart things that Trump did. Mm -hmm. He reached down, got a group of generals to run it, and they hadn't spent their time at Brookings and Heritage and everywhere else.
0: Gideon Rose's Foreign Affairs magazine leads off with an article on Afghanistan. Does George Friedman have an Afghanistan policy?
3: Leave. Uh, Look, we can't wait. Wait,
0: that's what David Gurra's policy is on me. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Look, we, we can't. We can't. We have no strategy. We have no goals that are achievable. We are there because it's harder politically to leave than to stay. So, we leave a token number of troops that aren't going to do anything. So, no.
0: Okay. George Friedman, thank you for letting me monopolize the conversation. Gura's over there doing his taxes.
1: Working on the Gura Doctrine.
0: The news flow this morning is extraordinary. Too short a visit with Arthur Lovett, the former chairman the SEC. Arthur, I uh, was amazed at the 48-hour news flow of an SEC really saying something about the changing of how research gets paid in London. Henry Kaufman said this morning there has to be one model. Do you agree there needs to be one global model for research, intellectual, and sell-side compensation, or can Wall Street in New York go it alone?
4: I think it would be Spectacular if we could have one model. But just judging from uh, different cultures, it is unlikely that we will wind up with one model. I I think, uh, as far as MIFID is concerned, the flashpoint obviously are on research payments, uh, which ends the practice of asset managers receiving research for free from banks and brokers in return for placing trades with them. Now, how are you going to make sure that that really holds? And I think the whole question of the responsibility that goes with becoming an investment advisor, which is uh, what the Bank of America Merrill Lynch has done, uh, I suspect that if they go ahead on this, we're going to see uh, all of the major players file as investment advisors. And that carries with it responsibilities that they've never had to yeah, face
1: Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a big change. Arthur, Dave- Arthur, what does this say to you about timing and about the, the SEC's ability to reckon with what's happening here in just a matter of months, this no action relief. uh, Jay Clayton says, the chairman of the SEC, designed with input from a range of market participants to reduce confusion and operational difficulties. We're looking at 30 months, a period of 30 months during which we could uh, get comment from participants uh, in in the marketplace. Uh, Why did this happen sooner?
4: Uh, This is such a difficult area, and a mistake has implications not just for U.S. markets, but for global markets, I think Jay Clayton has done a superb job of responding to many of the issues that have uh, impacted the SEC. And I think he's taking the right steps here, yeah. because uh, if he miscalculates, as I said before, the implications to yeah. global markets could be great. Okay. So I Arthur- think he's done exactly what he should do.
0: Arthur, um, you mentioned the cultural realities of a transatlantic, global Wall Street, the city, and and the rest as well. One final question, if we uh, may in too rushed a morning. There is the cultural difference of Jeff Staley, an American, at Barclays, a British, British, British bank. Just think of premier uh, football folks. Is Jeff Staley's tenure under threat because of the miserable results this morning and the stock down 7%?
4: You'd have to say that about any CEO of a company with that kind of stock performance. I don't know enough about the culture, the management culture within the company to say one way or the other. But in these days, any company that shows results and disappointing such as this, uh, the CEO has got to be very, very careful in looking behind him.
0: Um, Arthur, thank you so much on short notice this morning, and really on, to me, an historic day for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Honored to speak with their former chairman, Arthur Levitt. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.